Okay, so after all of these things you guys were telling me about, um, that it that it is possible to raise plant based kids, and it can be done safely. Do you feel comfortable raising plant based kids? I guess that's the main question. Yeah, absolutely, I do. But I think if I didn't know what I know now, it would have been very difficult. So it it's definitely something that um, you need to be able to solve for your own self first. So if you're confident in being plant-based and you know how to cook, then definitely raise kids that way too. So so not only are we disproving that kids can get, there's no difference in amino acids in, in, in their bodies, right? They There's no difference in growth. There's no difference in energy, uh, energy uptake in, in their diets. And we're seeing again that the plant-based sources are more beneficial for health than the non non plant based sources. So, so we checked off iron. We checked off protein. Like, what what else? What else do you want to throw at us here? Mike Wood, backyard farming. Oh, I say it, I say it again. You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Let astray. been had and what makes matters worse is you're allowing it a lifetime of nutritional deception has forced us into the fight for our lives we are the plant-based riot we're here to tear down that curtain of secrecy created by our very own american food industry a plant-based diet and a disease-free life are not out of reach make the choice So you guys are up in the, the plant-based dough, practicing your uh, k- kale foo <laughs> at the dojo. Kale foo. I like that. <laughs> we are. Welcome to the dojo. And um, uh, we're going to get into some uh, plant-based little vampires, right? The the little, the joys, the joys, the uh, apples of our eyes, our we, kids. We talk about them a lot on all of our intros. We always reference the the kids and how that's going. And this is going to be all about the kids. And, and uh, you know, it's, is it safe to raise a plant-based family? Is it safe to feed kids plants? Like there's all the, I, I'm obviously based on the science and everything that we've been talking about. Um, I've been hearing how you guys are talking about that. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, why not? But then there, I have read that there's some, things to be concerned about uh different levels of various things to be concerned about as kids are growing through physically and mentally through different stages of adolescence so that's really that's really what i want to like check in with you guys on and and i know mike has some cool things to share so i'm sure we're gonna we're gonna get right into i i it's funny you know you want the kids i'm just ready i honestly i'm just ready for my kids not to grow up and move out but like (laughs) <laughs> ready to be out of the stage we're in i think you know yeah. it's i just like pulling my hair sometimes and things are getting better if you look back it's like you know they're wiping themselves they're flushing their own toilet they're changing their own clothes so that part's that part's we so house on. training basically yeah but it's also now it's like more like start owning start owning yourself a little bit step it up yeah. and just like like that's what i'm ready for like i don't need to tell you to do this like if you do this, then you can go and do the cool stuff that you want to do. Don't let me ride you on like the stuff that you, you know, you got to do. Like, let's, let's use our time a little bit more productively. And cause I want to like up my parent game and like 
upping my pairing game, I sure doesn't mean just sitting there and, um, you know, making, making sure a checklist is checked off. Like they can do that. Like, I don't know. That's where I'm at. And like, I feel like when we're trying to up our parenting game and up their kind of motivation to be more independent, I always get a lot of kickback from the wife like she's trying to protect them from me maybe mm. giving them too much do you, do you guys experience that as well well i mean look at you I, yeah i want to protect i don't anybody would want to protect their kids against you of course sorry Mike. yeah you, you are absolutely right yeah i would say like you know there's definitely a delicate dance between you know encouraging and discouraging but uh, yes to me, I find that what what seems to be the most effective is to try and like be involved in the things as much as I can, right? So like, like f- for us, it's it's trying to train the boys how to do the dishes well. I mean, they'll well. do the dishes, but like, do we have to do it well. again? You know what yes. I mean? And so like, do we have to do it again? <laughs> yeah. Oh. But like, like, like am I gonna get sick if I eat off of that dish that you cleaned <laughs> half-assed? No, like, but I mean, it, they're way better now than they were even like three months ago. But you know, like, what we've settled on, which which is working better than ever now, is like, because they they would kind of fight each other about like who's who's supposed to do the dishes and who's supposed to load the dishwasher, like just little things like that. They would yeah. kind of fight over, and um, what we chose to do was to, was like. One person does the dishes after lunch and the other person does it after dinner. So, you know, because if you just wait until the end of the day and you've got this like giant pile of dishes that you try to divide up between them, it doesn't really seem to like one person is going to end up doing more than the other. And there is an an age difference. But but yeah, you know, trying to but also like spending a bit of time like washing the dishes with them. Yeah. Seems to help a lot. Too. <laughs> yes. yes. See, that's I okay like to that. that. That's good, Mike. I, I, my approach is like the dishes are insane. Go do it. And if I hear you complain, I'll slap the shit out of both of you. And that's how I approach it. So I, I'm not I doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that delicate dance that you're talking about, which is probably why you get a treat or three every Wednesday and Dan and I don't. <laughs> so. so so in order for us to get like a wiggle Wednesday in there several times, we better start doing that <laughs> practicing our dance dance moves a little bit. <laughs> what do you no, think, no, Dan? I'm adding that to another shirt our shirt make list. Uh, wiggle Wednesday, honey. Wiggle it's Wiggle Wednesday. Wednesday. We just call it Hump Day. It's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> what what better way to say it? Uh, good point. I, I was trying to talk in code, but way to throw it out there. Way to throw it out there, Mike. Well, you, <laughs> you guys have probably guessed it. We're talking. Uh, this episode is all about uh, raising plant-based vegan kids and is that is that okay to do what are the what are the pitfalls to look for um what are the pros and cons and and how do we do this uh, at a at a, keeping in mind metabolically what what are the kids going through and what do we need i don't know any of this stuff uh of course you know i just the only thing i know is like oh b12 you need to get more b12 so but there's a lot more to it than that and and it also helps having an awesome pediatrician on your side that whether they agree or not agree, or that's not their lifestyle, they're aware of, they're aware that this is catching on and people want to live in a more healthy way, which excludes meat and dairy and being mindful of, of added cholesterol, which we've learned about. Um, 
I know our body may, makes about 80% of what you need anyway. So there's that part. Um, so uh, that, that's what I want to really, uh, we, we talk about this at the beginning of most of our episodes, what our kids are doing and, and how they're doing and, and all this. And, but off, off microphone, we have this conversation a lot and it goes back and forth sometimes. So this is, I, I've really wanted to hear your guys' intakes, uh, intake on a long format version of those conversations. So we are the plant-based riot, and you guys are making the choice to live a longer, healthier, disease-free life. Um, so, so Mike, tell me, I just want to jump into that. Your, your, your son recently converted cold turkey, or what, what, was, that, what was that about? So, you know, um, I've been plant-based for, I would say, about two years now, and uh, I like to mention it every once in a while, you know, to, to my son and, and to the family. But I think um, what happened was recently um, I, I suggested we watch that that film, uh, The Game Changers. You know that one, of course. Oh, yes. Uh, so we watched The Game Changers and, you know, he watched it and I was actually, you know, like I just kind of hung back and let, let them all watch it. You know, and and about like a couple weeks later, he was like, hey, dad, I'm thinking, you know, this this is Monroe, my oldest son. He's like, I'm thinking about maybe going vegan. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You know, like I, I totally encourage you. And then um, and I was like, you know, let me know if I can assist you in any way. And I was like starting to I started to advise him a bit on like making sure he was getting enough to eat and what things to eat. And, um, teaching him about little things, you know, and, um, at right around the same time he was, um, he decided he wanted to join track. Um, so that was another huge, like positive, uh, piece of news that he gave us. Um, and so from that standpoint, I was thinking to myself, okay, so you want to be a runner, you want to be plant-based, you know, and I think he got a lot of inspiration from, from a lot of the athletes in the game changer movie. Um, and who wouldn't, you know, it's pretty great to see that stuff. So, um, you know, I was trying to, um, I'm trying to like coach him a little bit on like making sure he's getting enough calories per day. If you're going to be this active, you need to be eating a little more in calories. Um, you need to be making sure you're getting enough complex carbs that are going to give you that slow release of energy throughout the day, you know? So, um, I'm like... I basically like I'll go to the store and get him some soy milk. He he really likes soy milk. Like for him, the easiest thing for him to do right now is like to drink a lot of soy milk, maybe eat a, a whole block of tofu a day. I do that myself. Wow, great. Because I was telling him like well, he was like saying, "How do I know if I'm getting enough calcium?" You know, to to get strong bones and I was like, "Well, you know, um the easiest way to get a hundred percent of your calcium for the day is one block of tofu. Cause you know, there's now that we make our own tofu, um, you, we use, um, gypsum, which is called calcium, also known as calcium sulfate. Um, you need you need about, you know, a little more than a gram of that. Um, like to, to, to coagulate the, the soy milk. And so you're easily getting over a thousand milligrams of calcium. If you are using that gypsum to make the tofu, it all goes into the tofu, you know? So, wow. you know, for lunch, eating a block of tofu is actually, you know, it's, I think it's like 300 calories. It's not 
a significant amount of food to eat and it hits your calcium like 100% right there and your pro- it's got like about 30 grams of protein um so you know but he also likes soy milk which has vitamin b12 in it so that's that's where i kind of was was like leading him down like you know you need to make sure you're getting b12 that's something you can only get from bacteria which is typically why meat and you know animal products have b12 um not because they are producing it but because there's bacteria in their guts that we're getting it from right so so soy milk is kind of an easy way for him to get it um but what's what's really cool i've noticed is like my youngest son milo he's not uh, vegan or plant-based uh he's you know he's he's in a carnivorous stage of his life <laughs> but you know what's cool is that um ever since monroe you know has said that he wants to be vegan um you know granny has been getting like looking for vegan stuff at the store whenever she goes to the store she she'll get him soy milk she's getting him you know like impossible uh burger patties the 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 nugs you know the the plant-based chicken nuggets um basically anything she can find that's vegan and she she'll get that and bring that home right and uh, you know granny's really good at like bringing them treats and things that they like to snack on um so just by by that happening uh milo my youngest one not vegan you know like when he's going for a snack or going to make himself some lunch he's grabbing the you know the impossible patty and cooking that up he's not a vegan but he's he now he has the option to just kind of try it and he's like oh this is good you know so it's like if you just have meat in the fridge then they're going to eat the meat but if you have meat and a plant-based meat you know and you you kind of explain to them what the difference is and they have the options then all of a sudden you're kind of offsetting how much meat they're eating without even having to do anything you know it's like you know the, the- i don't i don't try to force my kids to to eat a certain way um i just try to explain to them about where things come from and i let them make their own decision Good. um and so as i find that if they have options if they have not only options, but like they can see both sides. Um, they tend to eat more plant-based. Sure, if it's there, right? That's good. That's good that you guys are presenting the option to them. Right. That's good. And that—that's the third ingredient to the success that you're experience with with him transitioning to veganism on his own accord. Right? Is is you guys are guiding him or just exposing him to another side of things? Like I thought it was interesting that he's like, well, where am I going to get my calcium from? Mm-hmm. How how old is he now? He's 14. So at 14, he already has been ingrained with the marketing that, well, if I don't get milk, where's calcium going to come from? Right. So you you're, you have to undo that now. And and you're, you're saying, right. OK, well, if you eat this block of tofu, it has, you know, a thousand milligrams of calcium in it. And that's plenty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you're exposing him to other sides of things that are that's showing him that hey there's other successful people out there uh whether it's in sport performance or or whatnot that are that are you know thriving uh mm-hmm. on a plant-based diet so and that's such an important component for what we're talking about with kids today is is showing them multiple sides of diet showing them multiple sides of of health like i mean because if you guys were a family that had 
you know, uh, Barg's root beer, Coors Light and beef jerky uh, in your cabinet at all times, guess what's going to trickle down to that kid's eating habits, right? They're going to eat what they see. They're going to eat what their palate kind of has turned into and developed. Uh, and, and, you know, we are programming our kids with our diets and our habits, and we might not realize it until they get older, but, you know, they're downloading everything we show them. So, yep. I would say the first step in successfully, you know, converting kids to a vegan diet, not even kids, but also, you know, other members of the household that might not be interested in it is showing them other options or giving, presenting other options. And what's so great about these fake meats is, you know, they kind of feel and taste very similar. So there, there are these kind of gateway foods that can take you into a a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Brian, we've talked about this with your family a while back. Um, Like when, when you have family and relatives come in that are from a different lifestyle or even country, like, yep. How does this, how does this work? It's easier telling our friends, uh, you know, and our coworkers um, that this is what we're doing. and, And people don't typically don't give you a hard time. It's usually, internally right in the family yep. or, or your very close old older friends are always kind of yep. not it comes across as picking a fight but i've learned i've learned usually the most aggressive are very the most aggressive comments and most aggressive drivers are uh people who are actually curious about it and and sure and then they want to know a little bit more and they're putting up a little bit they, they you're getting a test like what do you sure like what, what or do you pass this test do you really know what you're talking about because yeah. I want to know too. And yeah, I, everyone, that's happened a couple everyone's times. Everyone's an absolute. Go ahead. I'm sorry about that. Go ahead. No, no. It, like that's happened a couple times to me, and and I've I've learned that. So I've learned to uh, change the response to more like asking the questions, right? From you guys, from this podcast, I've learned to yeah how those conversations go. But you've talked about that a little bit, Brian, and the kind of the feedback that you get from your family, and, and how does yeah. that go? Well, me, me personally, I, what I, the sense that I get from both my parents and my, my in-laws, my, my, my wife's family is they're offended that I am stepping outside of the traditions that I was raised in. And those traditions have been passed on from family to family to family to family. And, uh, why do I have to be so difficult and go outside of, of, of what's expected? And I really I really get bombarded with that during the holidays where it's my fault that they have to do extra work to accommodate my needs. And it's just like, listen, I don't want any of that food. I don't want mashed potatoes with butter. I don't want cream. I don't want gravy. I I don't want, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm okay. Nor do I want to come over and gorge myself with food. That's going to make me feel uncomfortable for the next three days. And I'm going to have to exercise for the next week just to, just to deal with the caloric intake that I had from this, this gorging fest. Right. Um, so that's when I seem to get it the most. Um, and I, and I don't know why it's the ones closest to us that are, uh, most against it, but from, from everyone I've talked to, even my family back in Chicago, my, my cousin, Kimmy, what's up, Kimmy shout out. Um, even when I talk to her, she gets a lot of resistance from her husband. Who's Jovan. I love him to death. You're awesome. Um, but we get a lot of resistance. She gets resistance from, um, you know, family members because it's so different. And of course, when it comes to nutrition, everyone's an expert. 
<laughs> where are you going to get this? Where are you going to get this? Where are you going to get this? And then my, my, just like you said, my, my response is like, well, where do we get it from if we eat this traditional diet? And they can't answer that. So where does calcium come from? I don't know. I just know we need it. So if you don't know where it comes from originally, why are you worried about where I'm going to get it? Or where does B12 come from? What does B12 do? I don't know. Well, then why do we need it? Right. So that's that's how you kind of undo that, that, you know, that that feeling that, you know, your family's like, I'm a black belt in nutrition. I know more than anyone. And, and then you throw that question back at them and they can't answer it. But, you know, I, I did get a tremendous amount of resistance from my family when I told them I'm raising my kids vegan. There's no conversion. Right. And, and that's something that I think we need to put in the foreground with this discussion today is when we talk about the research and the directions and we're dealing at a time where like there's a major shift in nutrition. A lot of research that was done previously talks about kids that converted to veganism. But I think what we're seeing now in civilization is kids are growing up vegan. So it's two different populations, right? All of us grew up eating a traditional Western diet, right? I mean, I didn't turn vegan until I was like 18, 19. You guys turned vegan in your adult life. So, you know, we really have to clear the air with like who we're talking about and the populations we're talking about. And is this truly a healthy or not healthy thing? So, um, but, but back to like the, the resistance I get when it comes to my kids, um, I've get, I've gotten a lot of resistance and the most has been from my parents or my in-laws, like so much so where they were sneaking meat into their food no kidding. Yeah, while while <laughs> I like asked him to babysit into the rice or something. Well, my my daughter my it. daughter Bella, <laughs> my daughter Bella's like she you know one day back in Chicago she's like oh yeah we went to the McDonald's playground today and I'm like no <laughs> why did you go there and she's like oh we went and we got chicken nuggets and we got hamburger and I like looked at my in laws and I'm like why would you do that and they're like whoa they need their pro I, I had a fit. I had an absolute fit. It's like, it's like you've stepped so far over the boundaries that I have, I have established. And, and I told them straight out, I said, if you ever do that again, and my kids are getting to the age where they'll tell me things, you will not see them again. Yeah. And the same thing happened. The same thing happened with my parents where we were at my, I feel so bad for this. We were at my brother's birthday party and I found out that my parents were feeding Cole, my youngest at the time, my youngest, um, they were feeding him meat and I found out at the party and I, I made this huge scene at the party and my, my poor brother, he had so many of his friends there and I, I nearly flipped the table over that had all this food because I was so upset that somebody so close to me would do something that I'm adamantly against. So yeah, so there, there's a real, there's a real, um, resistance that comes from the people that are closest so much so where they think they know best. Right. Is that, is that fear or is that just generationally? That's how we've been growing up for centuries, right? Like we eat the meat. That's, that's what, that's what the book says. You eat the meat, right? Right. This, this jogged my memory of um, this conversation I had with my son's art teacher. So similar kind of idea where, where like my art teacher was saying, you know, well, actually, I, I happened to mention somehow in conversation that I was was looking into being plant based, right? And she was like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then she was like, "I used to know a family um, that you know ha- that raised their kids vegan." 
and I was like, you know, I thought it was okay at first, but then I noticed that the, the, that their kids, they just seemed kind of weak and they didn't really seem all that healthy to me. And then she was like, and then I realized that they're just eating lettuce all the time. And then, <laughs> right. And then she was like, then, then the family changed their minds and decided they wanted to like, you know, try out the, what is it called? The, 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 um, paleo the diet. Food? Yeah, <laughs> they they wanted to try being paleo, and so then they started wrapping bacon around the lettuce, and then all of a sudden those kids became so healthy and like strong almost overnight, and I was like, like it felt like kind of like an attack on of course on being plant based, yeah. yeah, but also like what I what I I didn't respond with this, but like it, you know in in retrospect I was thinking to myself, it's not really fair to compare those two things together like that, and for one to if you if you use an example of a family, even if it was true, I don't even know if it was, of a family that's just eating lettuce most of the time, like, you know, that's clearly demonstrating that that's the wrong way to do a plant-based diet because you can't just survive on lettuce. Everybody should know that. You know, like it's a, it's about beans and rice. It's about the cereal grains and the legumes. That's your that's your foundation for getting most of your calories. The lettuce is kind of like your vitamin you know, your, your vitamins and your minerals and your phytonutrients, but that's like a teensy bit of your diet compared to the beans and rice. So like what I started to realize was that a lot of people don't really understand what the foundation of a plant-based diet is. Um, and they're so quick to knock it because they just assume that it's about eating rabbit food. Right. And, and this lady, whoever she is, she does what so many people do. They, they, display a massive f- uh, ignorance right they they right. show you how ignorant they are because they're truly suspending their own disbelief to be like oh yeah they only eat lettuce who even a rabbit can't survive on just lettuce <laughs> and they're right? herbivore the, <laughs> right the point you're trying to make you're you're embellishing you're hyper embellishing this story that yeah. you're buying into and trying to impose that on me to get me to buy into it. And then bacon fixed everything. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a fucking idiot. And don't put that, don't put that stuff on me and expect me to believe that as well. Use your head, formulate your own opinion and come back and speak to me when you have three brain cells that are firing at the same time to tell me your analogy, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, you need an education. You need a nutrient, whatever. You need the plant-based riot education, right? To uh, the right. plant-based I mean, riot masterclass to understand all this. I still don't understand. Yeah. It's right. it, There's so much going on. And on top right. of that, we're told uh, the opposite story from, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, from American, American food, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's so, it's I, so hard to navigate this. So I know, I, I get why people are like, fight it because they just don't know anything different and anything outside of what they've grown up with just sounds so alien so i would react right. the same way to me what i what i see it as is like you know if you rewind time long enough you find that practically every culture every cultural cuisine on the planet generally started with some kind of a, a legume and mixed with a cereal grain right you've got hummus and pita bread you've got soybeans tofu and rice you've got corn tortillas and you know and frijoles so like 
that being more like a very traditional type of diet, then eventually as we get better and better at growing those things morphed into let's feed those to animals and let's just eat the animals because we just like the way animals taste more than the beans and the rice. So like um, if you if you have so many generations of people who are more more leaning towards eating the meat versus eating the traditional grain and legume then what you get is almost like a collective like loss of how to cook or how to prepare really basic food um and and then when when someone says i want to be vegetarian or i want to be vegan then all of a sudden you're dumbfounded and you're like what what exactly would you eat if you if Everything. you were to do that <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like, yeah. It to me, it's like a loss of culture. Yeah. To to not really have any collective idea of like all the the cornucopia of food that we have right. available to us. But that's yeah. that's the American tunnel vision, right? Like Americans, we are superior in everything. We have to have the biggest this, the the loudest that. All of our food has to be, you know, a, a fifty ounce steak with, you know butter and bacon fries like that's that's just the way we are as a culture and um you know when you when you start to say okay well look at what you know let's 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 take ourselves out of out of the view of the microscope here and let's look at the rest of the world right the everything that we eat and we rely on like you know like you said these these animals right if you Mm want to raise a big strong healthy animal do you feed it other animals (laughs) <laughs> what, what are you feeding it? If you want, you're feeding it plants, right? I mean, I mean, that's, that's what these animals are eating. And then we're eating the animals. So, you know, if we want to say that the, the product coming from the animal is healthy, well, then we got to look at the diet that the animal's eating because that diet is what's making the animal big and strong and healthy. And, and we are feeding it plants. So yeah, it to to me the biggest knee jerk reaction I've ever got about this entire process was from my own family, and I'm sure that that's what everyone else out there is experiencing when they're trying to make this conversion. And and I truly don't even think it has to do with oh well, I'm worried about the well being of your kids. I think it's something other than that. I think it's like insulting for their for them to hear that okay, well I'm taking this thing out right. And right away, everyone's like, well, oh, oh, poor animals, you know, you're, you're such a, you know, you're, you're such a sissy, you support the animals. No, I don't want to be on dialysis when I'm 30. I don't want to have heart <laughs> disease when I'm 35. I don't want my kids experiencing obesity and diabetes at 13 because that's what your food is doing. What my food is doing mm-hmm. is keeping them away from that and expanding their lifespan. So why can't you get on board with that? Why does this have to be? Why is this insulting that I want to make my kids healthier so that they have a better quality and quantity of life? Because you being 40 years old and taking four different medications and having to go to the doctors, you know, once every three months to get your blood checked, that's no way to live. Right. And there's there's also a bit of fatalism where so many people think that it's normal to have to get in, you know, all these like drugs to keep you healthy and to get heart disease and diabetes is just a normal thing that everyone has to go through and, and not realizing right. that those things are preventable. Um, and I, and know. I think what we're going to see with this, this paradigm shift in, in kids now being raised vegan from day one, 
is we're going to start to see a decline in these chronic illnesses. And we're not going to see it in the data for another 20 years, but we are on the way to doing that. And also by making podcasts like this, by writing books, by making documentaries, by other athletes, and even like, you know, what's that, what's that actor uh, that played the Joker? Uh, River, I mean, he, or not, uh, Joaquin Phoenix? He's Fletcher. He's Fletcher. He's Fletcher. The other one that just came out called Joker. Oh, Phoenix. What's his name? River? Joaquin? River. Ro- Joaquin Phoenix, right? He, he is like a huge spokesperson for veganism. And it's oh, like, right, okay, right, well, right. you're an actor. Um, you probably know very little about nutrition, but the message you're sending out there is it's going to hit its mark, right? So there's, there's a lot of avenues out there now that's kind of, and just like what we talked about with the, with our, with our guys from across the pond, we're getting strength in numbers and other people are saying, oh, you know, maybe it's not what I thought it was. Maybe, you know, my kids aren't going to be smaller, dumber, you know, unhealthier because they're just eating plants. Because I've heard everything under the book. I've heard, I've heard everything under the sun. Oh, well, your kids' brains aren't going to develop right. Okay, but my son's on the honor roll, so that, that doesn't make sense. They were going to advance Bella a year in her, she was going to skip first grade because she's smart as a whip. So that, that doesn't make sense. Oh, they're going to be unhealthier. We don't, we don't go to the, we don't go to the hospital or the doctor or anything like that. So I, that, that doesn't make sense. Cole, my son Cole is a phenomenal athlete and so is Bella. So everything that has been kind of thrown at me for being like, shame on you for raising your kids that way, we've debunked it. It's, it's, it's not, it's not true. Is there on that note, is there some, is what, what, what data is there that I should be aware of? What are the pitfalls that I need to be aware of uh, as we go on raising plant-based kids, vegan kids? Brian, is there, is there nutrients that I need to look for? Like, for example, um, uh, um, amenia runs in my family, the lack of was it white blood cells. Is that what that is? Um, and, or, and, 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 and iron. And getting iron is part Anem- of that. Anemia. Yeah. Anemia. yeah iron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Iron. So that's something that that's on our radar. And, sure. and, and so we're, I, we're just, it, 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 it always comes away. Just, I totally like, I forgot I learned anything from you guys. And I was like flipping out, like reading stuff, trying to call people and figure stuff out. And then it's like, it com- comes back to like, it literally came back to like eating your, the variety of dark green leafy greens. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's the first thing we say on every podcast. Right. So Brian, I'm going to turn this yeah. over to you. Just yeah. Remind let's, me, let's fresh, refresh the, us. Let's set the stage here. Right. So this episode is truly about what are the biggest pitfalls facing people right now who want to convert the kids to veganism. And we're going to be hundred percent honest this. We're going to debunk certain things and we're going to say, yeah, they might be right about, about this. Right. So, so if you are considering changing your diet for your kids' health and their longevity, um, we're going to talk about the biggest things that have appeared in research because uh, I've done I d- I've kind of done a deep dive on this. And again, we have a group of people that converted to veganism, and then we now have kids that are growing up that way. And, and it's two different data sets because we 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 have to recognize that. So, you know, I I don't want to be completely biased and say, oh, well, veganism is the best way to go. We don't know about the kids that have grown up vegan. Uh, there is some data out there, but it's older. So, okay. So iron, um, you know, if we're going to talk about iron deficiencies, so I found a bunch of studies that showed that, um, vegan children 
did have less iron than omnivores and then vegetarians. But that iron, that, that less iron had nothing to do with the development of anemia. So we have to recognize that a diet and a single nutrient, right, just not getting enough iron is not going to be enough to trigger uh, unhealthy life, lifestyle, right? Um, so even though vegans did have lower iron, their hemoglobin was the same. So that means they still had enough red blood cells, which carrions, it carries iron within the red blood cells, and that's what allows oxygen to bind to red blood cells. So iron might have been lower. Hemoglobin was unchanged. There was no correlation between low iron in vegans and anemia. And that's one thing that everyone talks about, where they're going to be, you know, they're going to be iron, they're iron deficient. And we do have two different types of iron, right? Mike, you talked about this on one of those episodes. Do you want to, do you want to kind of talk about what those two different types of iron are? Um, gosh, I don't even know if I remember it. So there's like heme iron and sure, there's, yep. uh, gosh, what's the other kind of iron? Non-heme, right? That non-heme. we get from plants, right? So we get, we get iron right. from the blood of animals that we eat. So we eat their blood and their iron and their myoglobin and, and, and those things. And research has favorably shown that those are more readily available than non-heme iron, right? Mm. Which is plant iron. Okay. Now, even though non or, or, or non-heme iron, plant iron is less absorbable than heme iron that we get from animals, there's only about a 7% difference in iron levels between omnivores and vegans. Okay, so 7%. Is that significant? No. No. If it was like 70%, sure, that would be a, a major, major difference. So no major changes in hemoglobin, mm-hmm. no major changes in oxygen delivery, no major changes in, in uh, you know, who is, is more susceptible to anemia. Um, I might add, and, like... Yep. Like uh, vitamin C increases your absorption of, of iron, right? So Yes, it does. So, for example, if you're looking at a group of, of vegans that may have low iron, you also have to factor in, are they getting enough vitamin C every day? You know, are you eating two, two oranges a day, for example? That right. will increase your iron by a lot. I don't know what factor, but it, it does increase absorption of iron. Wow. And, and that's why I was saying that we can't just single out like one nutrient. So 93% of vegans uh, done in studies with children, 93% of them needed no supplementation because their iron levels were so close to omnivores. All right. So, and Hmm. now what I'm, what I'm mentioning here, these are three different studies and all these studies showed very similar things that the iron levels were similar. Now, some people within vegan diets just might be more susceptible to low iron. I grew up eating meat. I had anemia for most of my young life. And I remember my mom had, I had to eat liver sausage like twice a day because the iron content, the iron content was so high. And I remember like she make it, she was making me like liver sausage sandwiches with mustard and I I could not get, I could not get it down. Right. So that had nothing to do with, that had nothing to do with diet because I was eating meat and I still developed anemia. So, so that's one of the things we need to dispel right away is that if you genetically, if you just have a predisposition to have low iron, that Mm -hmm. might not have anything to do with your diet. 
Sure. Um, and now there are, there are also people who have too much iron, right? I mean, you right. Could, you can argue, right. You can also argue the other side. And that's funny. My my family, my uh, on my father's side, has we we would always have to. And he got me involved into this was having a high iron count and donating blood. It's the way to to off to get rid of it to off gas them. <laughs> so that's so that's what it was, and that and that kept his numbers down, and that was oh, his, his his family as well. So right, so right. So, so when you mean? donate blood, your your body's going to regenerate red blood cells as quickly as it can, and with that, the iron's going to come back. So so, so that doesn't that, it does that, nothing. No, that fixes no. that week. Maybe is that what the idea is? Well, maybe day? for a, I could. So red blood cells usually the turnovers every two to three months. So it 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 might take a little bit longer, but it it would it would come back. Um, so he was doing now, that like every year. So that's not enough. Then. Yeah. <laughs> now, all right, I, all right. Now I uh, I will. Have I to still that. know. I still know like like people are going to be in disbelief like, oh, no, iron, you're going to be deficient in iron. I found some studies that showed that whenever anyone, vegan, non-vegan, omnivore, vegetarian, whenever there is an, there is an iron deficiency, your body has a defense mechanism where it will absorb both heme and non-heme iron 10 times faster. So we have a mechanism that keeps us above that threshold. Now, if you are naturally anemic, that mechanism might not work. But if you are a vegan and you are low in iron, you will absorb either type of iron 10 times faster until you are no longer depleted of iron. So, and I can give you guys the, uh, the reference to that, that study that was conducted in the show notes. So that's um, how so, adapted the human body is, you know, like if it's very adapted, right? If, most of human history has gone through periods of starvation followed by periods of prosperity and and uh the human the human body has never experienced i mean humans have never experienced such prolonged periods of prosperity as currently we are experiencing like evolution isn't keeping up is that what that means yeah so like you could you could argue that the the health crisis and 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 the the epidemic of obesity that we are experiencing in the world uh is is related to the fact that the human body is unable to cope with prolonged prosperity uh or it has not evolved to cope with that you know it's interesting how was that going to look in 50 years right 100 years i guess it's going to take much longer than that to yeah it's almost like the the rise of dietetics and nutrition science is a is a is an adaptation to the prosperity that we're experiencing and how do you how do you culturally figure out ways novel ways to limit getting too much of something you know because you're more likely to die from obesity today than from starvation right people didn't die of obesity 2000 years ago right right i mean like right Kings did, far, and far what, more, did, what, did, what did kings far, eat that the peasants didn't? Exactly. Everything. The meat. Yeah. Yeah. Far, far more people. Meat and cheese. Right, and far more people have died from obesity than from starvation, if you were to, to really add up the numbers historically. Um, sure. So. Crazy, right? Uh, so, so, okay, so Brian, what we, else? Yeah, go on. Before we exit Iron, I, I just want to play, I want Dan to keep tally. We're going to play something called Good Cop, Bad Cop right now, right? Or Good Food, Bad Food, right? So, Dan, what do you, if you have low iron, 
What are two foods that could rapidly increase your iron levels so that you, so what are two things that you can put into your diet today? It's like, oh, I'm low. I'm worried about my low iron. I want to go vegan. What are two things that you can put in there that would increase your iron favorably? So, uh, uh, vitamin C, I'm going to start with that. Sure. To increase uh, absorption. Okay. And then I'm going to. Vitamin C is a micronutrient. So I'm saying foods, things that you can chew on. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do my dehydrated oranges. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's your vitamin C. And then I'm going to jump into uh, my. I'm going going straight because I like salty and crunchy. I got to, I got to probably do the unsalted version, but I'm going straight to seaweed. Can I, can I do, can I do seaweed and why, why is that? We'll talk about seaweed a little later. Yeah. Um, Mike. Okay. Leafy greens. What? I don't know. What would I say? Give me two. Yep. Okay. um, Chia seeds. Okay. Crunchy chia seeds. Love it. And I'll say uh, tofu or any kind of, any kind of beans. Tofu was the winner. So I want you to put a check mark on tofu because we're going to show you we're going to show you how magical tofu is. Everyone Yay. thinks, oh, tofu, tofu is going to give you these man tits. Okay, we'll take that. We'll take that hit. But let me show you throughout this conversation what else tofu is going to do. Okay. We've already debunked so, yeah. that though, by the way. Yeah. So if you wanted to increase your iron, eat some beans, eat some tofu, and you know what? Fry it all in an iron skillet and you'll take in more iron from this, this, the cookware, right? Now, nice. Mike and Dan, what are nutrients that are going to reduce the absorption of iron? And this is straight from the research. I cannot make this reduce up. Reduce? Um, gosh. Meat. Somehow is meat involved? Cheese and milk both <laughs> reduce <laughs> the absorption of iron. And How I about cannot, that? I cannot make it up. So does that indicate that like ovo or, or lacto-ovo vegetarians might be more you know, inclined to iron uh, anemia that's exactly what i was just going to say so, is that so vegetarian. The, the people in the middle ground they might have iron issues mm-hmm. wow. huh. something to think about had no idea yep. well how, how big of a that's great how big is this is this a big is that a big factor that it increases that uh it's it's massive yeah it's it's i mean so what we're doing now is not only are we dispelling these these kind of these um insults that people are throwing our way for raising our kids, you know, the way we are, but we're also showing them that, Hey, the diet that you're on might be also lowering your iron or, or maybe not, because if you eat steak five times a day and then you have a little bit of cheese, maybe that surge, that super physiological dose of iron from the steak is overpowering the inhibition by the cheese. We we don't know, but what I want people to understand is this stuff is complicated. It's not like, Oh, well, you're vegan. You're going to have low iron. It's not that simple, right? Okay. So that's all I have to say about iron. I just, I needed to throw that out there for you guys. I had no idea. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. What's the next one? Yeah. So we're we looking at, so, um, <laughs> what, what are we looking at? Uh, we talked a little bit about dietary concerns. Uh, we talked, we talked about blood and how, how that, how that works with, Iron and hemoglobin. And yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, but what, what we talked about, pl- uh, like families, families, uh, you know, and, and how that works and, and play dates and how, how it's I, kind of getting to be more popular. But what, is there any other scientific components to, to this uh, raising plant-based vegan kids? 
Let's talk about the big one. Let's protein, right? Everyone, protein, 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 protein. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about that one. So um, all the research that I found on vegan kids, vegans, the kids exceeded the national recommendation of protein by a factor of two to three. So whatever protein they were getting exceeded national recommendations by a factor. Let's just say, or let's just, let's do the medium, a factor of two and a half. So an abundance of protein was being consumed. And with that protein, uh, there was no changes in the anthropometrics, which is their weight, their height, their growth. Um, And this was in children ages one to three, right? So I got a lot of kickback from my family at one to three. Like, where are they getting their protein from? They're, they're going to be a runt. <laughs> the research was done. It was done by a group in Germany that looked at kids one to three and the kids exceeded by a factor of three what the national recommendations of protein are for a kid. So um, there was no differences whatsoever between omnivores and vegans in protein and energy intake. They were the same. Um, The only difference was the source of protein, right? And what they found is that the source of protein, obviously, uh, the vegan kids got more soy protein. They got more phytochemicals. They got more um, fiber and more carbohydrates, where the other kids that were on a non-vegan protein diet had more sugar, had more um, refined sugar, had more saturated fats, and had more cholesterol. So again, if the protein's the same, and the other byproducts, which is phytochemicals and fiber and carbohydrates, are the less of the evils, which is the better component. So Dan, get, get, the, get your pen out and get ready to mark down tofu for another win. What do you guys think about that? Right, no skeletons in the closet there. And if you want, you guys want more information on this, I, I pulled out a bunch because I was like, I was literally like, when I was reading this, my jaw was hanging over. So for children, for children um, by age, so let's say children ages four to nine, they need 19 grams of protein a day for normal health and growth, four to nine years old. So what does 19 grams of protein look like? I don't know. I'm going to say one. Like maybe a couple tables, like a tablespoon of peanut butter. Or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's you're pretty damn close, Dan. Tofu for the win again. A half a cup of tofu, so that's a half a block of tofu, is ten grams. So Mike, if your kid is eating a whole block of tofu, he's getting twenty grams of protein, which is more than he needs for the day in one meal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. What about chickpeas? One cup of chickpeas. How many grams of protein are in one cup of chickpeas? Hmm. I'm going to say 20. I don't know. 39 grams. 39. Wow. So if you have, if you have, if you sauteed your tofu in an iron skillet, and added some chickpeas. Oh yeah. You're golden, baby. You You know what we love to do with chickpeas? If besides making hummus, is um. You know, like you cook them up in the instant pot. There it is again, instant pot. And then uh, after that, you you can drizzle a little bit of like olive oil on them after you dry them out, and then Ooh, add a little bit of salt, and then bake them yes. until they're like crispy. 
Swear yeah. to God, it it smells like meats cooking. In the <laughs> it's sizzling in the in, and then you take them out and then you just snack on those things. So they're good. so good. Wow. I could eat a handful. So, I like that. So now let's say let's say your kids are a little older, right? So Mike, you have a fourteen-year-old. So mm-hmm. a kid between the ages of nine and thir- fourteen, they yeah. need thirty-four grams of protein. So based upon what I said, how hard is it for you to get thirty-four grams of protein with what I just told you? Not hard. One at all. cup of chickpeas gets him what he needs. Right. So go back to your really intelligent friend that's friend that said, oh, you only eat lettuce. If we were just to eat one thing, which is chickpeas and nothing else, we got our protein for the day. And what else does the chickpeas have that meat doesn't have? Fiber, iron, antioxidants, right? Calcium. So yeah. what wins here? What is what is truly the better food? Right. Um, you guys like quinoa. It up. quinoa has nine grams of protein per cup. All right. So you get that. You guys that are, man, I don't know if I'm going to send my kid vegan. It's so risky. Fire up that iron skillet, throw in some quinoa, throw in some chickpeas, throw in some tofu. You you just have health in a, in a bowl, right? You are good to go. (laughs) And then (laughs) what is the other big concern with protein, right? The complete protein, right? Oh, well, you're not getting a complete protein. That's where some of the research is true. And I, I hate to say this, but if you if you want to compare a protein to protein, yes, meat is a more complete protein, but that should not dissuade you because Dan, for the for the fucking win again, tofu comes to the rescue. Tofu <laughs> is a complete it's a complete protein. Yeah. Buckwheat is a complete protein. Hemp seeds, a complete protein. Mike, rice and beans and hummus, baby, that's a complete protein. Do you see how easy this is? What makes it a complete be- protein? What does that mean? Be- so you get you get these different food sources that have an overlap of the essential and non-essential amino acids. So back to your really intelligent friend that likes to think that we only eat lettuce, right? The more variety we have, the greater the chances of us getting that overlap of mm-hmm. non-essential and essential amino acids. So if we just if we just ate lentils and not some of the rice, the lentils might have a couple of those uh, essential amino acids, but not all of them. So we would get the other ones from right. the rice. They would overlap and then we would have complete proteins. Beans, but as I showed high, you, or beans are typically high in lysine, which is one type of amino acid. And then mm-hmm. grains are typically high in methionine. Right. right. So, so you put those two together and together, now you, you have both methionine and lysine. Right. Wow. So, yeah. so not only are we disproving that kids can get there's no difference in amino acids in 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 their bodies right they there there's no difference in growth there's no difference in energy uh energy uptake in in their diets and we're seeing again that the plant-based sources are more beneficial for health than the not non-plant-based sources so so we checked off iron we checked off protein like what what else what else do you want to throw at us here <laughs> i mean th- i could throw out iodine which is an, okay. a, kind of a funny one. If you want, uh, I can share, shed a little light on what I've learned about it. Please. Okay, so historically speaking, iodine has actually been looked at as something lacking in the diets of not just someone who's vegetarian or vegan, but, but all across the board. Um, you know, like iodine as a, as a micronutrient needed in small amounts... Uh, has often been regarded as being deficient in soils, right? So 
Um, interestingly, the ocean is kind of our best source of iodine. And that's where, you know, things like kelp and seaweed or sushi nori, like uh, seaweed uh, as, as a plant-based source of iodine is the best one. Uh, because everything from the ocean accumulates all the minerals and has 90 different minerals in it. So the ocean is this reservoir of all the minerals that have been kind of wasted and, and went downstream from a farm, got sort of collected into the ocean, and now plants in the ocean take it up. So that's why seaweed is one of the most nutrient-dense sources of minerals. Um, but that being said, um, you know, for those who uh, are not vegan, like typically milk and eggs are known for being a good source of iodine. But when you really look into it and you say, like, why is it that eggs have a lot of iodine? Why, why does milk have a lot of iodine? And the reason is because these animals are supplemented with iodine in their diet. <laughs> so, like, you know, like whenever a cow is milked, iodine is used as an antiseptic to rub on its udders before you milk it. And so all of a sudden there's this unusually high amount of iodine in American milk because we used iodine yep. to clean the udders. Chickens are fed iodine as a supplement very, very often. And that's why eggs have more iodine. Um, but really the, the number one reason why, at least in the U.S., why iodine has never really been much of an issue is because iodine was put into salt, table salt. Mm, yes. Um, and so, you know, unless you're eating Himalayan, or I should say, unless you're eating, you know, uh, non-iodized salt and you're not eating seaweed, um, you know, like you may run into difficulties if you're not eating those things, but like, um, generally speaking, if you're vegan, um, seaweed is an easy way to get it. And often you, you can get a little too much if you're not careful. Right. Sure. But, um, iodized salt is the easiest thing to do to get it. So Mike, would you say, cause this is one of the arguments I get in with a lot of people when they're like, Oh, well you, you, you know, your diet is not a natural diet because you have to drink soy milk supplemented with B12. Can't, can't we say that, that these animals are being supplemented with iodine? Yeah. And fortif- fortified with iodine. And that's how we're getting the iodine in our system is, is through this right. kind of kind of secondary source. Right. I mean, does that, that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so, okay. That's, I, I didn't even know that. I'm like, wow, that's super interesting because that's one of their points of sale. Like, oh, you know, we, this, this has eggs have iodine. You have to have iodine. Mm-hmm, yeah. But that's mm-hmm. being fortified in the animal. It's not naturally produced there. Exactly. Right. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, historically speaking, people who don't get enough iodine can eventually develop something called goiter, which is kind of an inflammation of the neck. Um, and there's even parts of the UK where, historically speaking, um, people there have been deficient in iron, or iodine, sorry. And uh, they called this one region Derbyshire Neck, because <laughs> a lot of the people there had these kind of like puffy necks, you know, and they were like, what is this? And they, they eventually pinpointed it as deficiency of, of iodine. Um, but, you know, it's not just vegans that, are, that were experiencing that. It was basically people who had no dietary source of iodine, right? So, like, for example, seaweed may be a taboo food in a certain population. Um, 
And then iodized salt may not be a thing within that population. And then maybe if you're if you're eating dairy in that population, is the cow being um, are the udders being cleaned with an iodine antiseptic? If all three of those are unknown, <laughs> you're not getting then it. you're not getting any iodine because you know most vegetables. If you if you were to go back in time, say you know five thousand years or more, then maybe your cabbage and your carrots and your soil grown vegetables would have some iodine there, but not so much anymore because of kind of this exhaustive farming you know world that we now live in where it's extractive. You know you're constantly growing the same crops in the same soil, and you're when you remove those vegetables from the soil. You're removing the micronutrients. Are those micronutrients ever going to go back to the soil, or are they just a one-way street? Yeah. You know, if 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 people are buying vegetables and then eating them and then passing it through them, eventually it all leads to the ocean. So that's so the- and C ninety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we use we use something called C ninety with our growing operation, and so you can use ocean minerals, solar dehydrated ocean water. Um, as a way to add iron or add iodine back into the soil. So the, the veggies that you're selling at the CSA in the farmer's market would probably have a higher iodine content than traditional commercial grown soil based veggies. Yeah. So that's one argument why small farming is better than large scale because large scale can't really afford to do those kinds of things. Right. And here it's soluble in the water. So the hydro veggies are able to get it. Yeah. So Dan's watercress. Here it is. Is is like slurping up the iodine. <laughs> next week it's coming. Next week. Speaking of speaking of slurping, there's there's nothing more that makes me want to put my mouth on a pregnant cow's udder and <laughs> and sucking that milk out than knowing that there's an there's an iodine topical on there fighting some type of affection. So that that just makes milk <laughs> listeria. This is what's super super attractive. Sign me up. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, We've talked about quite a bit here. Are we leaving anything out? Is there something that we didn't touch on with concerns about raising um, vegan plant-based kids? Yeah, there's there's still a couple more. Um, Vitamin D was another one that popped up. Um, You know, vitamin D, omnivore, vegetarian, vegan there's deficiencies across the board. So a lot of people bring up vitamin D, but I don't think we can really say that vitamin D is solely a vegan thing. Sure. Um, of of course, vitamin D is, is really important for maintaining healthy bones. We know it has, it has, you know, functions with cellular functions. It's anti-inflammatory. It's antioxidant. It's neuroprotective. It, it does a lot of things, but 58% of the population is vitamin D deficient. So and that's not, not even really. including the diet, right? Yeah, it doesn't include um, diet. And yeah, where, are we, so, where are we getting that? So if you go um, outside, just the sun, sunshine, if you go baby. Outside yeah. Fifteen minutes a day. <laughs> Which yeah. it's, everybody, everybody's gaming right now and on the phone. It's, there's no time to go outside anymore. Is that right? Right. Yeah. If so you don't go outside, I, then you're in, not going to get in much. vegan kids. I found that vegan children had slightly lower vitamin D than non-vegan kids. But then I also found a study saying that. Omnivores had 1.3 times lower vitamin D than um, than uh, vegetarians and vegans. So it, it we we just don't know. Um, 
And, you know, if we wanted to increase our vitamin D, Mike, mushrooms, it's a beautiful thing. There you go. Uh, Fortified plant-based milk, fortified cereals. Um, Dan, tofu for the win. Tofu, tofu, got it. (laughs) And and sunshine. Sunshine is, is the really important one. And now that we're talking about like deficiencies across the board. Another one that I looked at that uh, calcium uh, vegans were supposed to have lower calcium. Again, there's the milk thing. Um, what I did see is that uh, the mean intake of calcium for vegan children was about 53% and omnivores, their mean intake was between uh, 28 and 85%. So vegans are right in the middle with calcium, right? It, there's really no major deficiencies there. What they did see is that older vegans, like who are in later stages of life, they might be more susceptible to fractures of bones, uh, and that might play a role in, in calcium. Um, but there's, there was no impact on growth or development or brain size uh, with, with calcium, vitamin D, iron, or protein. So what, what we're not doing right now is dispelling all of these concerns. Um, and then, Mike, can you can you tell us about some plants that might be really high in calcium? And I, I truly don't know this, so maybe you can kind of clarify that if you if you happen to have that information. Yeah. So, I mean, I would I would say that, like I said before, the easiest thing to to do to get enough calcium is to eat tofu and and not be squeamish about it, right? So, like, eat your block of tofu a day, and you're you're easily at more than a hundred percent. So beans are a, a great source of calcium, but I'll, but if you're looking at greens and veggies, um, collard greens and kale are a rich source, but you're going to get more if you cook them, right? So obviously eating five cups of fresh collard greens can be difficult, but if you cook them down, right, it's a smaller, then it's a smaller package and it's much easier to get that calcium. You're not going to get a destruction of calcium by cooking it. You're going to actually make it more easily digestible if you cook your greens so like per bite you're getting more less bites to get right. what you need there's also dried fruit um you know dried figs have a lot but all dried fruit you know t- to be honest all plants every plant has calcium right it, it would be impossible to to eat any plant that and not get calcium from it um but as far as getting 100 percent easily without much effort um you know you're you're looking at at beans as your best source, I would say, and cooked, cooked greens, cooked dark green vegetables. But for me, I, f- I find that the easiest thing to, the easiest way to hit it is, is with tofu. But uh, what's interesting to me is that the reason why tofu has so much, besides beans having calcium, is that we use gypsum or calcium sulfate to coagulate the bean curd, right? It's almost like making cheese, but you're making it with beans. And that's how it's done. That's how commercially it's done as well. Right. And what, what's interesting to me as well is that like, I would imagine, you know, pre-agricultural humans, they weren't thinking like, how am I going to get enough calcium if, as I, I'm a hunter gatherer, you know? And like, to me, it seems more plausible that you would be getting most of your calcium from drinking water, like from a mineral spring. Right. So like, um, thinking about, how 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 like calcium is soluble in water you know it's 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 easy to get a gram of calcium to dissolve in water and that's about how much you need a day right a gram of calcium can dissolve in water such as a river flowing through rocks flowing through limestone 
um, you know, to me, to me, er, uh, early humans were getting quite a bit of calcium by drinking water from rivers. And uh, the dissolved calcium was coming off of rocks, you know, from from underneath the soil. Um, so to me, that's the, that, the that's the oldest way in which people got calcium and they didn't even have to think about it. They didn't even know. But obviously plants take it up. They have to have calcium. Otherwise, they can't grow. They can't form roots if they don't have calcium. Or they can't build cell walls to make calcium pectate. So that's what I have to say about that. I like that. All, all of these things you guys were telling me about, um, that, it, that it is possible to raise plant-based kids, and it can be done safely. Um, like, what do you think? Like, is this, in the end, um, as you've, you've already done with, with one of your kids, you know, your kid came to you wanting to, to eat a little bit more plant-based. Do you feel comfortable raising plant-based kids? I guess that's the main question. Yeah, absolutely I do. But I think if I didn't know what I know now, it would have been very difficult. So it, it's definitely something that um, you need to be able to solve for your own self first. So if you're confident in being plant-based and you know how to cook, then definitely raise kids that way too. Um, that's just, that's culture, right? Learning, learning Teaching. how to eat, learning how to grow, how to cook. So yeah, so you, you have to first figure out your own needs and then that, that carries over into your kids. Yeah, I guess we, we, the way we did it was a little bit of, of a har- harder uh, learning curve where we just, we all kind of did it at once and we weren't sure what was ha- it. So therefore the kids weren't sure about anything either. And so it took us a little while to gain traction, you know, after meeting, you know, Brian and, and you, Mike, and, and sure. how to do all this stuff. It, it's, it's becoming easier, but it, that's taken many, many years. So sure. Had we jumped in first for a year or two and then slowly started that transition, that would probably make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, we um we're we're starting to do the kids are starting to cook a little bit more for breakfast, which is nice. good. They're starting to do uh, a little bit more input on dinners in terms of just getting them into the kitchen, helping, prepping, chopping, you know, squishing down the block of tofu, like all, all this kind of stuff. They're they're getting more involved, and that's they're getting more interested, and mm-hmm. they, they have they have the the power to participate a little bit more. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I know nice. we just we just kind of came back from a little bit of a break and like, are you, how's that going with your kids? Like, okay, guys, we're back in, was it, was it, was there downtime, uh, from, from eating a certain way or, or is it, was it the no, same? I would say it was about the same. Yeah. But you know, like I say, like if we ever go on a vacation or if we ever go visit somewhere, it can be a bit difficult to kind of, um, hack the menu. Sometimes you just can't get good produce or, or good vegetables, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't like to judge or, or discourage my kids from indulging a little bit, you know, like, like, um, you know, like if there's like some ceviche that, that, uh, looks good to them and they want to try it, I say, go for it, you know? So to me, like a lot, giving your kids a space to cheat if they want to is, is essential. Um, because I think by trying to force your kids to be, to be plant-based, um, even if they, even if they're the ones who, who, you know, brought it up in the first place, like I want to be plant-based, but sometimes they might want to try something that's not, you know, um, I, I think that's fine. So to me, it's, a, it's really about the day to day 
um, stuff that you're eating, um, as opposed to what you eat on special occasions. Uh, have a baseline. Right. That's good. So what did you guys make for breakfast today or how did that work out? Oatmeal. That's usually what we do for, for breakfast. Um, but, uh, you know, I find, I always find that like, if you get really good oatmeal, like steel cut, and then you cook it on a, like on the stove with a pot, it's like so much tastier, right? So, um, if you can teach your kids how to make oatmeal that tastes actually, actually tastes good, you can add like chia seeds to it. You can add nuts to it. You can add, you know, like maple syrup, a little bit of that to it. So yeah, if you can, if you can make it easily and make it taste really good, that's an easy one. That's awesome. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, the kids are into waffles and we'll end up doing like, um, nutritional yeast and chia seeds mixed into the batter with that. Cool. And, and the kids are, there's, they actually prefer that now when we do the blind taste tests of with and without. So the, we're, we're changing what the baseline is <laughs> over time. We're adding things to it. So it's, it's, uh, that part's, that part's pretty fun, but good. So this has been a good conversation. I, I think it's, I, it seems obviously, um, it's up, it's, it comes from the parents, you know, teaching or, or, you know, um, raising plant-based kids is possible and, and to do it as a family unit and everybody kind of participates and does it together. Just like you said, family culture. You know, we, we, uh, we are what we eat, I guess, in, in a way. So, um, I don't know, that was going to go somewhere else, probably a little bit better than that, but that's all I could pull out at the moment. Um, all right. So uh, do you have any, anything last, last ads for this episode, Mike? Um, yeah, I wanted to mention that, um, going back to tofu very briefly, um, a lot of people, including myself, like when I first got into tofu and learned about it and tried cooking it and stuff. I almost had this assumption that tofu was basically exclusively for like a stir fry or something, you know, like, so you got to slice it up and get a, like a hot pan with some sesame oil and start like frying it and flipping it and then put it on your stir fry. That's what I kind of went into thinking. But then over time, I started to realize like, you know, after I made tofu myself at home, I started to realize tofu is already a cooked product like right out of the box or i mean right out of the container it's already been cooked so like you can eat tofu raw um and uh it should be considered um like to me if you're if you're thinking about like how do i get enough calcium how do i get enough protein and iron and all those things tofu can be a really easy con- surprisingly convenient food an easy lunch an easy dinner with with something that else that you're eating like some fresh greens or some rice or something, but you can eat raw tofu. You can chop it up. You can press, you know, most of the water out of it, slice it up a bit and just like use it as a finger food. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, so that was game changing for us. And you guys do that often? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if I'm, if I'm looking for an easy lunch, I usually will just grab, grab some tofu. Great. You know, it's not expensive. It's, um, you know, it's shelf stable for at least a couple of weeks. If you buy it at the store, it's, it's an easy food that you can eat raw. And, uh, cause it's already been cooked. That's part of the process, right? Right. It's already been cooked. And so you don't have to really do anything special to it. You know? And I think that if you're eating tofu often, you shouldn't be frying it every single time. That's not the healthiest thing to do. Uh, but point. if, you know, if you want to make a stir fry once or twice a week, that's also great, great, you know, but, um, 
yeah, don't I want I don't want to discourage people from just eating tofu as is. So wait, I'm very I'm very interested. So do you do you season it at all, or you just you just you're slicing Sometimes it? Sometimes I do, but I mean it is like it is kind of a bland sure food, right? Right, right. But I mean honestly, like if you if you do eat like just raw tofu, even unseasoned, and you just sort of like cut it into cubes and snack on it during a meal, it's like you can you can easily acquire a taste for it, and it has a subtle flavor to okay. it. But I mean, it's it's uh, I guess it's a little bit counterintuitive at first to realize that you can do that, and it's great. So I gotta try this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you don't have to be making, you know, a two Michelin star meal every single time you <laughs> you eat. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be hard. So. That's awesome. Good. Well, I'll, I'm going to add that to the list here with the kids. All right, you guys, uh, we have some cool episodes coming up that you definitely don't want to miss. Um, one we, we got cooking right now. Um, no pun intended, but it, uh, uh, animal antibiotics and where, where it was initially intended for animal health back in the day. Um, these antibiotics are causing animals to gain weight faster and thus humans gain weight faster. And this is quite the Pandora's box. A little bit about uh, resistance, Mike. I'm gonna throw it to you, Mike. I know you, have, you. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but yeah, you got anything hot to say about that for a hot second? Sure. So, like, you could say that uh, antibiotics being so useful in medicine uh, and uh, the the treatment and prevention of disease, infectious disease. Um, uh, there's a long history of scientists uh, raising an alarm to. Um, animal agriculture for its overuse in antibiotics and um, basically releasing large volumes of antibiotics into the wild um, into basically almost every corner of of our society which is causing uh, very infectious diseases like MRSA to become resistant to antibiotics and we need antibiotics to be effective in medicine if you get sick and you have a bacterial infection you're going to be thankful that that antibiotics work and you know antibiotics where do they come from we get we got them from things like penicillium which is a fungus it, it's a bluish mold that would grow on your orange if it fell off of your tree you might see it just right in the dirt there that's penicillium if you licked that orange if you had if you had a serious bacterial infection that would give you a dose of antibiotics so i mean these are useful tools that we've discovered over the last, you know, century. So um, we need we need these things to be effective, so that we can have a stable, healthy society in case you get, you know, violently ill. So animal agriculture is actually um, making the world a lot less safe um, because of antibiotic resistant bacteria that are on the rise in hospitals and just all over the place. Damn. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. I know Brian, Dr. Brian Blackburn's got quite the bit of uh, insight and, and research he's going to be sharing with us. And, and I have a ton of questions. So we are the plant-based riot. You are making the choice to live a longer, healthier, disease-free life. Farmer Mike, what are you going to do with the almost five extra disease-free years? <laughs> that's a good question I, I think i'm gonna uh try more psilocybin <laughs> there you go all right well hey plant eaters thanks for listening to our podcast on how to raise a plant-based 
family. This show was written and recorded by the Plant Based Riot. And um, uh, special thanks to Hirachi Farms for for sharing lessons uh, that you guys have uh, you know learned on on the journey. There, we always like hearing all the the back back garden laboratory stuff that you're working on. Uh, kind of keeps us keeps things interested, which I like. Make sure to check out uh, Mike and Mandy at Harache Farms and come to the Atwater Village Farmer's Market uh, Sunday mornings and say hi. I'm Daniel Farnham with the Plant-Based Riot. We are your weekly dosage of a healthy lifestyle awareness here on the Plant-Based Riot. You can follow the Plant-Based Riot on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Plant-Based Riot. Our email address is the Plant-Based Riot Podcast at gmail.com. Please direct all constructive criticism to our lovely Dr. Brian Blackburn. He's also he also acts as our uh, bouncer security guard as well um, he, with, with all his MMA efforts. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Plant Based Riot on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a few stars, a review and tell a friend. Until next time, go get you fenugreek on. I still have that. I like that in there. All right. Uh, great. Have a great week and uh, be sure to be sure to tune in soon to check back in for the animal antibiotics episode. All right, we'll see you guys later on.